Identify yourself. What up, Council? My name is Chad Kroger. Um, I'm an activist and house party enthusiast. Over the past week, I've been in a state of deep despair upon hearing the news that L.A. is trying to outlaw house parties in the Hollywood Hills. I am here determined to stop this future atrocity. House parties were the bedrock of my development as a young man in San Clemente. My first introduction to manhood came when the captain of my water polo team, Boomer Kingsley, asked me to shotgun a tall can of Bud Light in front of the whole squad at his end of the season bash. His parents were in Tahoe at the time, so we tore that weekend up. It was epic, and I was super stoked. My newfound confidence gave me the courage to ask out the most popular girl in school, Lauren Stockholder, to prom that year. She rejected me, and I had to go with Stacy McMillan, but I didn't care because I was so amped on chugging with my boys. That's what house parties do. Raging at house parties is the truest Thank way you. to party. Next, next speaker, please come and identify yourself. What up, council? My name is JT Parr. I am also here to defend parties in the Hollywood Hills. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. If you outlaw house parties, you may keep the volume down, but an externality is that you may keep people from bonding. America needs bonding. People need to put aside their differences and find common joy. There's no more effective environment for that than a freaking rager. Thank you. And I want to welcome you to L.A. Council's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Welcome in. I don't know why I did that at the beginning other than I just thought it was funny as hell. Uh, an externality? I don't think that's a word. And an atrocity. It's not a, technically a word either. This is the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air Podcast, the weekly dose for May 17th, 2018. Handful of things before I get into the layout of the show, the menu, if you will. I will tell you right off the front end, it's going to be a four-segment show today. Um, Starting next week on whatever day the middle of next week will be, I guess I can look at it on the calendar here real quick. It is next week will be the 23rd. That'll be a Wednesday, and this show will be back to an every Wednesday download. Of course, you can listen to it whenever you want, clearly. But the goal was on the front end, and the goal still is now, is to set up an appointment-based kind of a listenership. Well, we might not listen to it immediately, that you know in the middle of the week, kind of the the dog days of the week, if you will, right there in the middle, that the show's always available. And the trivia gig came up, paid pretty good. 
was worth doing for a little bit until it wasn't. And that is officially no longer a thing. I'll get into more of that here in just a minute. On the way out of the uh, first segment here, I'll play a good chunk. These videos that Nick Let's Go does are so much better with, with the visuals. The audio is really awesome, too, because it's great music and it's uh, and it's it's clever just to hear, but they go better with the video. His latest is called Jerry, Maybe We Should Get Married. And the vocals are by a girl named Bethany Constantino, I think is what it is. And she's verified on everything and she's well known. I don't know who she is, but this is another huge, big production he's put together that is getting millions of views again so i'll play some of that at the tail end of the first segment so this week i could have done the show on wednesday because i didn't do trivia this week and the main reason for that was is it was just i was getting too bogged down with something that i didn't really want to do all that much that trivia night at the feed is still something you should go check out you should go to the feed any any day of the week one of the best bars in town I mean it. I don't even like to call it a bar, a tavern. What, what is the right terminology? When I say bar, it sounds like I'm talking about some kind of dive. It is one of the best establishments in the city. I wasn't just saying that because I was technically working there. I truly meant it. The main reason I went ahead and did it, even though I knew, I knew there could be uh, some issues with doing it, with getting in the way of my other work, one of the main reasons I did it is because of how much I love the place and the people that work there and that run it and all that. But it was time to just step away from that. Things are getting busy at my day job. And the, and one of the guys who used to want to do it on, on a spot fill-in really, really wants to do it, a younger guy named Eddie. And I got to talking with management over there, and, they, and I said, I need a couple weeks where these are covered. And then after a few minutes, it was like, well, he really liked to do it. And I was like, you know what? It just makes better sense to let him do it from now on. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. But so the the reason I didn't do the show on Wednesday this week, even though I was free, is because things kept popping up. Things, little stories kept subject matter content, little viral things, little videos, just like that stupid L.A. City Council meeting thing. And I kept seeing all these things, and I was grabbing them and make my mental notes on my phone and on my notepad. And I was like, there's a lot of audio here to play with. And I believe it makes the show better. I think it makes it more fun. And what I'm really good at, I'm going to boast just a little bit, I'm really good at producing, editing, directing, and gathering content for radio shows. That was what I did for years, and I feel like I did it really well. Probably the best that's ever been in this city because there's not been that many people who have had that kind of job, only a handful. And in a small town, it's not done the same as it is in a big town. When you look at major radio shows from the top of the mountain, which is Howard Stern to Colin Cowherd in the sports world, Rush Limbaugh, um, it's some of the bigger shows in Atlanta, which are not syndicated but still have pretty big staffs, you look at all these shows, and a lot of times now these high-end podcasts and video casts and all these things, these are monster productions. These are highly skilled, talented people working together to make this happen. You might only see one or two people. You might only see the host and the co-host and the caller, you know, his guest on the, on the phone or his guest via Skype or whatever it is. You might only see one or two different people. But often, especially in those huge radio shows, they have countless half dozen on the small end, 12 or more on the higher end of people around them writing, scouring the Internet, doing the research, pulling all the numbers, pulling all the edited audio, putting it all together, doing it on the fly and doing it at a, at a minute's notice at times. And so sometimes you see these guys that are, and gals that are so good on TV or, or hear them on a podcast or hear them on a radio show, any kind of recording. Part of the reason they're so good is is because, first of all, they're talented or they wouldn't be doing it, clearly. 
but the reason that they're so sharp all the time and they seem like they're so so well versed in everything is because they have 12 people around them feeding them everything they need to make them look good. That's what everybody's job is, is to make that person, the, the talent, if you will, shine. That's what that job's all about. And I took that stuff very seriously when I did it at the other uh, two, three, two or three different stations. I not only took it seriously, I really enjoyed it. And the fast-paced environment of it I thought was a lot of fun. In this setting, this is a little different in this recorded podcast setup, but even a lot of these NPR, big-time storytelling podcasts, have countless people working on hours of editing and all the actualities are called. When you hear the different sounds, especially NPR, you hear and they start talking about water and you hear water running and you, you know we're walking through the woods and you hear the crunches of leaves. All those things are highly produced pieces of audio layered in you know, to audio software and it is tedious and if you enjoy that kind of thing, it is fun, but it is, it is difficult and it can be exhausting. So as this week got going, I started pulling all these different audios and, and putting all this together. And I'm a one-man band. I've talked about this many times. So if you're a regular, you know what I'm talking about. But I have to do everything. And that's fine because I enjoy doing everything. It just, by Tuesday, I said, there's too much to do here. There's too much that could happen into the next day that I, I, I need to let this keep going for another day or two to put it all together and get it out on Thursday, which it's been for the last two months. But that will change starting on the 23rd of May, I will be back on a um, on an every Wednesday, or at least most of the time Wednesday, download. Uh, one other thing I wrote down here, a note to self, to talk about is uh, reviews. If you guys are ever in a capacity of iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they might be officially referred to now, and, and leaving a review through, through iTunes itself, I'd appreciate it if you do that. Now, I get it if you don't want to, and I don't even know how to tell you how to do it. But if you happen to fall into a situation where you can do that, that helps. The more reviews you get, the more interaction you know how it's the social media world is the same concept. The more interaction you have, the more the more uh, likes and shares, blah blah blah, all that. The more I don't want to say relevance it gets, or I don't know what I'm exactly trying to say here, but you know where I'm going with this. It just it shows that you're getting traction. I have three reviews. Two that came real quickly once I started the podcast, from, from likely from friends, and the one that basically says the show totally sucks. <laughs> so I don't care if you think the show sucks. It's less about what the review says, and it's more about having lots of them. So, yeah, leaving reviews on, on Facebook and leaving reviews on SoundCloud and Twitter and all those things are, are really cool, too, and, and, and highly appreciate it, appreciated. It's the, the reviews that are inside that um, iTunes I mean, I guess it's a directory or, or whatever. I, I'm not sure. Again, I, I know I sound like an idiot here trying to talk to you about it, but if you find yourself in that situation, please uh, do leave a, 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 a review. I would very much appreciate it. All right, let's see. What do we got coming up this, uh, this show today? Four segments. So I'm going to start off with this absolutely inane, ridiculous, I didn't even write it down, Yanni or Yanni, I found out later, maybe it's Yanni, and Laurel, that stupid little audio thing. I'm going to get to that here at the tail end, or the second half, I should say, of this segment. Coming up in the second segment of the show, I went to Chattabruga. Seemed like a fine enough event. It was over the Ch uh, Tennessee First Tennessee Pavilion. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I think all the beers there suck, but that's because I've officially quit craft beer, but I had a free ticket, so I went anyway. And I've been wanting to do this segment for a while. 
mix in talking about how all these craft breweries are getting bought up by the big major macro breweries. And part of the snobbery is, oh, yeah, this is small craft, small batches. Now, almost most of them are not, actually. Most of them are owned by massive corporations that are, you know, global corporations. But we'll get to that and some beer snobbery in the second segment. In the third segment, sports gambling is now a thing. Well, it will be shortly as the Supreme Court has reversed that, that that decision that says it's unconstitutional to say that states can't vote to have legalized sports gambling in their uh, in, in the states, make it a state's rights issue. And while I totally agree with that from the libertarian side of my um, my brain, I also hate gambling, think it's awful, and want to have nothing to do with it. And I've kind of got a, the same kind of thoughts towards it that people have who hate marijuana. And we have the same mind, mindset to why we hate each one of those, and we don't we, we unfairly judge each other. I'll get into some of that in the third segment of the show. And in the final segment of the show, I got something that I never thought I would get, a gaming system, and I'll get into the specifics of that and the game that I was playing and wrap it all around this kind of mental illness, kids and how they how their brains are 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 processing this information while it's still in development mode. Mixed in with, not trying to poke fun, it is a little nuts and close to funny, but this woman out in Phoenix that was stalking some dude, got arrested the other week, and sent upwards of 65,000 text messages to a, um, to a dude she went on a date with one time. And I've got audio from that, that again, I'm not trying to poke fun or you know be uh, un- insensitive here. I'm going to make a greater point about that all the way around here shortly. Okay, so let's get started here. Laurel, and I thought it was Yanni. I guess maybe it's Yanni. It doesn't really matter because most all of this is fake. And I'm talking about, you've seen it on social media by now. That uh, word spoke in the audio clip, what does it sound like to you? Get back to that in a second. Remember about three years ago, there was the uh, kind of viral nature of the picture of the dress. And I can't remember, It was I think it was either gold or black or or gold or dark blue or something, I don't remember, but two different colors, and people were seeing, seeing it differently. And it's created this big storm of, of, of TV and internet and uh, water cooler talk, and, and that was about three years ago. And, and that one, to me, felt a little justified in the sense of the curiosity factor of it. Because to me, and I'm no ophthalmologist or a, whatever you call an ear doctor, to me, the human eyeballs or any, any living thing's eyeballs might be one of the more fascinating parts of, of a person's body, uh, what it can and can't do, and, and how it can and can't affect, affect your life. And to me, hearing is more of just, it's just a volume. Either you hear really well or you don't hear really well or you don't hear at all. It's about those three steps. With, with, with eyesight, um, not knowing much about it, but still, it's very plausible to me. I mean, I know that there's like colorblindness. There's different kind of contrast people see. Um, there can be eye damage. It can change the way you, the way your perception of, of what you're looking at is. So when and and that the fact that that viral uh, p- picture was visual gave it a whole different dynamic and gave it, I think, worth something to talk about for a few minutes. And we talked about it on the radio station. Everybody talked about it. So that was in t- uh, 2015. This go around. Now we're dealing with just a piece of audio, and you'll hear it in this little bit I've got here in just a second, this little clip I've got. And apparently there's a blogger who's taking credit for making this viral, not for creating it, but the one who, who was able to get it to, into the right hands to, to become so blazing speed fast, picked up by people and retweeted and shared and all that. 
And to me, this is nothing more than a perfect case study, maybe the most perfect case case study of the epidemic we have in this country of sharing bad information, of your average asshole walking around, liking, commenting, sharing, retweeting, bad information, not real information. Hence the whole fake news thing, which then creates fake outrage. Now, this is clearly not important, so it doesn't matter, but it is a just a perfect case study example of look at how many people have made this have, the reason this thing is viral because people won't stop sharing it and it's not real it's not a thing after a few minutes then they start someone pitch shifts it and pitch bends it and and makes the two words sound different well that's fine anybody can i can the, the software i have here i can make any sound i want sound like anything i want it to sound like if you go in there and start start manipulating it but if you just ask a question what does this one thing sound like it sounds like exactly what it says. Laurel. That's what it is. <laughs> Nobody's hearing Yanni or Yanni. And and then I start hearing the regurgitated explanation is that as you get older, you're you're here differently and younger people hear it this way. No, then nobody's hearing this different. This is exactly what it is. It's the, the sound that you hear is exactly what the sound is. And the entire country is debating on something that's not real that was totally made up. And we maybe have... What's her name? Uh, where is that? There it is. Blogger segment. All right. Chloe Feldman explains in this. I've got three clips from her, one of her YouTube channels, that she's the one that created the viral nature of this idiocy. And Cora, uh, so it's Chloe Feldman. This is her explaining the situation that uh, and how it, uh, how, how it caught fire on the Internet. Guys, I tweeted this thing today. What do you guys hear? Yanny or Laurel? Play the clip. Laurel. 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 Basically, I found this post on Reddit. It's not my original post. I thought it was cool. Sage actually found it. My younger sister, Sage. Shout out to her. I'll link her below. But anyway, she was like, Chloe, you should tweet this. It could go viral. So I tweeted it, and it went viral, and it's literally the number one trending thing on Twitter right now, and it's like just blowing up. I literally have all these celebrities tweeting me in my timeline. I have all these people tweeting it. And I'm sweating so bad right now, and I don't know what to do. This is the youth of America and what they're doing uh, online. I'm not trying to be old man, get off my lawn type, but this, I'm just meaning seriously, this is what they're doing. Spending as much time as they can on YouTube and behind their, their cameras and their, uh, and their social medias, desperately seeking attention, desperately seeking retweets and shares, and to get, a, you know, to get, get, get attention any way they can. And you know, I'm not even saying it's necessarily bad. But that's what's going on here. That is the new form of entertainment for young people. Continuing on her vlog, video, blog, whatever the hell it is, Chloe reads from a piece that's talking about her, and then she finds out she has a quite the surprising superstar retweet. On Tuesday, Chloe Feldman, a social media influencer and vlogger, posted a seemingly obvious question on her Instagram story, which she then cross-posted to Twitter. What do you hear, Yanny or Laurel? I can't believe this is like going viral right now. Who's team Laurel and who's team Yanny? Wait, this is not real. Mia, this is not real. You're right. Wait, 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 found a viral video that she hasn't liked to retweet or jumped out of her shoes to share on social media. That's what she does. 
And uh, so there you go. That's this. She's claiming Chloe, Chloe Feldman. Can you can probably blame her for creating the uh, the mess that is this ridiculous Laurel versus Yanni, Yanni, Blanny, Danny, whatever it is. The idiocy continues with her cast of giggling dingbats as they talk more about Ellen. Literally everything at my show just stopped to see if people hear Laurel or Danny. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I'm calling Sage right now. Sage is obsessed with Ellen. She's Sage, Sage, Sage. She literally said her entire audience was doing it. They, at like, the show. stopped the show. They stopped the show to do it. Tell me I'm going to cry. I don't know how to feel right now. The late show just reposted. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know how to handle this right now. Literally, like, my head exploded. It was, like, so crazy. So uh, there you go. Chloe Feldman quite possibly is the one who's to blame for all of this mess. But to me, it really, that's the, I first, I did it too. All right. I'm talking about it here. I talked about it on the radio show on uh, Thursday or Wednesday, one Wednesday. Uh, and, and because I can't ignore something that has taken over the entire conversations of Americans on any given day. And as I'm recording this, this has all been happening today. So I am a little bit of a hypocrite. I know I get it when I say this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? This is dumb. Don't. And then I go to proceed to talk about it for you know ten solid minutes on a podcast. I understand the hypocritical nature of that. It really does come down to to me. It it's a microcosm of of the problem that we have with the sharing of bad information and. And and I even heard a parrot, you know, that I was with at work today, who was like, yeah, yeah, um, oh no, see what the deal is, is see you're older, and uh, when you when you're older, you hear, and it's just regurgitating this stupid tweet that ended up being out there as the explanation as to why some people would hear it. So to so to gather attention, young people then start saying, oh, it sounds like Yanni to me. No, you idiot, you numb nuts. It's it says Laurel. Laurel. In no parallel, upside down, or backwards universe does this word sound like Yanni. Laurel. Or Yanni. Laurel. So when all the hashtag Team Yanni types post that they hear Yanni when they hear this. Laurel. They're all a bunch of damn liars. Liars, liars, pants on fire. This. Laurel. Says Laurel. And this conversation is over. On the way out of the first segment here, I've got a good portion of the new Nick Let's Go Super Deluxe incredible piece of audio and video he's put together. Jerry, maybe we should get married as a salute to the 20 years since the show went off the air. Do yourself a favor, find the video and watch it. Coming up next, beer snobs. We'll rank some of them and talk about craft breweries, who owns them, and what that means for future beer consumption in the United States of America. This is a Stone on Air podcast, the weekly dose for May 17th, 2018, and I will be right back.
back. He's cool. Stoneonair.com. See, I think alcohol, same problem we had with drugs. Alcohol was fine if we had left it alone. Alcohol was fine when it was the four basic groups, right? Beer, gin, whiskey, and vodka, because then you had to like the taste of it, right? God damn it. Who knew that beer-flavored beer would be a special order? Have you had this experience? Huh? You're walking around a neighborhood you don't live in, but you've been in a million times before, and you see a brand new bar, it looks like an Irish bar, right? You walk in with your friend, still looks like an Irish bar, there's a bartender behind the bar. You walk up and you go, hey, there's a couple of Budweiser's. I can't do that. Why not? Well, because this isn't really a bar. Oh, well, what is it? This is a microbrewery. Oh, really, asshole? Well, why don't you go in the back and microbrew me up a batch of fucking Budweiser then, okay? Because this is America and I am very thirsty. Same thing with the whiskey now. Just be able to get, just get a shot of whiskey. Not anymore. It's always a big story that goes along with the whiskey now. Is that my whiskey? Yeah, it's not just whiskey. What is it? Well, it's 182-year-old oak barrel aged special family recipe sipping whiskey. Oh, really? What's this? Clang! Give me another one, all right? Now give me another, I'm gonna sip the whole fucking bottle, asshole. And bring me a nice big bowl of pretzels too while you're at it, shithead. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. Keep in mind that that is a comedy bit from about 20 years ago. That was just when it was just beginning. It's Dennis Leary. Back when they were called microbrews. Yes, long before all you craft people were so excited a lot of us were experimenting with different microbrews, and the old people made fun of us then. Thought it was stupid. And experimenting with different kinds of drinks and foods and mixtures and pairings. There's nothing wrong with that. But by creating a lifestyle that annoys the hell out of everybody you're around, well, if you're asking me, there is something wrong with that. I'm not mad at you, I'm just saying. So I've been um, involved with the beer culture, society, community, uh, industry, my entire adult life. Just, I mean, entire exactly adult life. I worked at a place out in Hickson called the Beverage Barn. Many of you will remember it, many of you will not. The building, it was... Housed in is not even there. It was almost literally a barn. Not quite, but meaning it was as junky and as primitive as a barn. Basically like a little fiberglass little building. There's like a law firm there now. Just down from Riley's, actually, on Hickson Pike. And it was the only place in town, probably the only place within a couple hundred miles, that you could get any kind of beer that was outside of the norm. Like uh, the gas stations, as exotic as they would get, would be Sam Adams. You know, maybe a Sierra Nevada or something like that. And that's probably too exotic for that time frame. That would have been around, well, hell, we were buying beer there underage at 16, 17 years old. So that would have been 96, 97, 98. And then I started working there in nine, uh, 99, maybe, stocking shelves, basically just to get uh, beer underage still. And then into 2000. And then I got my job at what was then Carter Distributing through meeting one of the beer reps who would come in there to sell beer. And then I got a job in the warehouse at Carter Distributing, and there's kind of the lineage of 
of how all that got put together. But I basically only worked there so I could get beer at the age of 19 and 20 years old. It was run by um, an Indian who did not care at all to sell to underage people. They did it all the time. Can't believe they never got caught. Anyway, that's not that's not the point of the story. So that I worked in that store that had lots and lots of different brands of beer. And then at Carter Distributing, which became a, a very craft-focused at the uh, beginning of this decade, and I drank a lot. So put all those things together. I don't know a lot about beer, and I don't know a, a ton about um, the process of brewing and all that. I did more when I was younger. I, hell, I brewed up some beer when I was 19, 20 years old. Not because I loved it so much. It was because I wanted beer at 19, 20 years old, and it was legal to brew it in my apartment. The stuff was probably rot gut. It was probably some of the worst beer ever made, but it had alcohol in it, and it got me drunk, and that's all I cared about. So at that early 2000s, 2001, 2003, now I am of legal age, and microbrews, that's what they were called, microbrews were the big thing. And uh, we, me and my buddies would always just want to be the ones that got the new beer, got the new beer. My, one of my uh, best friend's uh, husband would go one, I remember one time went out, uh, obviously long before they were ever married, but would go out to out west and bring Fat Tire back. It was kind of like in the 70s when people would bring Coors Original back. From, uh, from the West Coast from, uh, or from the Denver area in Colorado. And it was kind of the same thing with Fat Tire because you had to basically illegally bring it because there's the beer laws have been so restricted and have loosened up over the, over the generations, but they have been very tightly regulated in a lot of ways as far as how you can and can't distribute the stuff. But so getting the new beer, I was always a big fan of. And then when the craft beer thing kind of took off, I thought, well, you know, this is pretty cool. And I still think it's pretty cool. I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody. I, I poke fun a little bit. But, I mean, it's, it's got a lot of cool qualities to it until it doesn't. And the beer snob has become really, really an annoying human being. Um, you like to think that most of these jackasses will grow out of it. Many of them will not. Most of them probably will. But so I've got a list here, and I, I only highlighted a handful of them. I think eight of them. The rankings of different kinds of beer snobs. We'll start with the evangelist. Always looking to win a few converts. The evangelist brings a few choice selections and a hefty supply of tasting glasses to any social gathering. What, you weren't planning on drinking a 15% ABV Russian Imperial Stout at your nephew's christening? Let's see, we've got the Barrel Baron. If it didn't come out of a bourbon barrel or a brandy barrel or some kind of oak vessel that previously contained a fine spirit, it barely qualifies as beer. And don't you dare come at the barrel, Baron, with that weak oak age wood chip nonsense. That's garbage. The self-important home brewer will inevitably second-guess the beer he's consuming with talk of hop varieties and bottle conditioning. Has made one decidedly mediocre pale ale via a kit from last Christmas. This beer snob is the trend chaser. One summer, it's all about the Goza. The next summer, any IPA that isn't preceded by the words New England is met with audible disdain. Next is the professor. Won't even listen to you unless you're at least taking Cicerone classes. Cicerone is a way you get certified to be able to judge beer contest. Or it, it basically makes you a beer expert, so-called. Next on the list is the master debater. You, quote, I tried this beer and it's pretty good. The master debater, get ready to spend the next five minutes finding a polite exit while I harangue you about your beer preferences, even though in reality, I think that beer is pretty good too. <laughs> the second to last on this list, the one-upper. Oh, you've got a good beer? That's great. But the one-upper had one that is better. 
God, it's so much better. It's tempting to tolerate the one-upper because they'll decline to drink the swill you brought and instead request everyone drink theirs in order to assert their superiority. But they're so damn smug about it, it somehow makes the beer taste worse. And the final one on the list of types of beer snobs ranked by obnoxiousness is, yes, the condescender. Wow, you're drinking that? Indeed, the condescender gleefully looks down on anyone drinking a light beer, a formerly craft beer that's recently sold out. More on that coming up on the second half of this segment. Or even a craft beer not up to the condescender's exacting standards. When not directly shaming others when it comes to their beer choices, the condescender can be seen engaging in political trolling on strangers' Facebook pages and correcting the grammar of casual acquaintances. And we all know one of those jerks. So there's a list of eight different kind of beer snobs ranked by their level of obnoxiousness. And so to come back to what I was talking about on uh, that just a second ago on craft beer or sold out, you know, the sellouts in the craft beer world because it's got to be a certain amount of barrels moved per however amount of time. What most of these numb nuts don't understand is is that every single one of these craft beers, it's it's just in these these craft beer uh, breweries, okay, let me back up, not every single one of them, but most of them are doing the same thing that most small business is doing in America. It's the new way of business. It's a new American dream almost, if you will. Try to create a product, try to create a service, a business, and build it up to a certain level, sell out to the highest conglomerate, and get rich. Or at least get get padded so well that you can move on in a different direction. It's no different than any other industry, small business startups. They're all basically trying to do roughly the same thing. The idea of a family business and, and, and leaving it for your, you know, your, your children and your grandchildren, that's a thing of the past. So while the beer snob condescending types are you know, dogging on beers that get bought out by major companies and, co- and corporations and c- conglomerates, are now mad at them, that's what they're all doing. And I always go back to this no matter what the different level of snobbery is. Is it a good beer or is not? If it was a good beer yesterday, it's a good beer tomorrow, it's a good beer next year. So there's a lot of fakeness to this too. There's a lot of fraudulent nature to, oh yeah, well, those IPAs, or that's, I'm I'm out with that, done with that. If you liked it before, it, it it means it's still quality. You don't have to like it. Your palate is not my concern. But saying something isn't quality anymore because in your mind it's not cool or it's a sellout is pretty damn lame. I'll just put it that way. There's a couple of really, really long and in-depth and interesting articles, uh, one from The Atlantic and the other one from The Thrillist, I think is what the website was, uh, from The Atlantic. Craft beer is the strangest, happiest economic story in America. Blue Moon, Boddington's, Pilsner Urkel, Goose Island, all are owned by two companies. Anheuser-Busch InBev and Miller Coors. As recently as 2012, this duopoly controlled nearly 90% of the beer production in the United States. But in the last decade, something strange and extraordinary has happened. Between 2008 and 2016, the number of brewery establishments expanded by a factor of six, and the number of brewery workers grew by 120%. Yes, a 200-year-old industry has sextupled in its establishments and more than doubled its workforce in less than a decade. Even more incredibly, this has happened during a time when U.S. beer consumption 
has declined. And what I'll say to that is, is that overall volume has declined, but overall trends have stayed closer to flat now, but but have were increasing over the last most of this decade. When you get stuck in a rut of as a company who's worried just in volume, well then you're gonna you're gonna run into some problems there. Sometimes, sometimes you got to look at successes in other areas. Overall percentage of beer consumption in the country is down, but the trendy nature of craft beer is still, if at worst, flat, and at best, small percentages still on the rise each year. And you can make up your profit loss from volume in other areas, which good distributors and good brands can do, and crappy distributors and bad brands can't do. The great craft beer sellout. Craft breweries across the country have been lining their war chest with institutional capital or aligning themselves under the banner of big beer looking for a quick cash to expand, amp up distribution, or just retire on. In the past 24 months, strategic partners, i.e. big beer companies, bought Ballast Point, Ten Barrel, Hop Valley, Terrapin, Revolutioner, Devil's Backbone, St. Archer. They bought those companies outright. Lagunitas sold 50% to Heineken. Founders sold 30% to San Miguel. And Brooklyn Brewery announced it sold 25% of its company to Kieran. The Japanese corporation, they make uh, Asahi, they make the Kirin Ichiban brand. So a lot of these companies are going completely global. And if you're going to make it in this industry, you almost have to because the distribution is, is state-run law. So from one state to the next, that's why Coors couldn't get over here because there were, you couldn't travel across state lines with with certain amounts of beer back in the 70s and or and in the 90s with fat tire you ha- I don't know how the laws they've changed so so much since then but for a store to be able to, to carry your beer for a bar to have it for a grocery store to have it for a specialty beer store to have it you have to have distribution rights and if you're not owned by a major company who has a distributor it is illegal for you to sell your product outside of some smaller restrictions like a festival or you know some kind of um, uh, special tapping one-offs and things like that. If you want to have it on the shelves to get shelf space, to get uh, point-of-sale signage and displays and, and, and visibility in the marketplace, you have to be in bed with one of these distributors. And to be in bed with one of these distributors, you need to be in the portfolio of one of their big-time customers. It has to happen that way. You might not like it. The laws might piss you off they are quirky in a lot of ways they're relaxing more and more every decade they relax more but that's the way it is so for any of these your favorite craft beer or company to be able to be prevalent in your community the only way or the 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 most efficient way to be able to do that is to be in line in bed with one of these major imbev miller coors or uh that's it really that's the main two and that's what these Imbev and Miller Coors are trying to do. They have been since becoming woke to this, if you will, back around 2012. It is they now all have craft beer divisions. Ten years ago, there was no craft beer division in Miller Coors. It might work Cherokee Distributing. There wasn't a craft brand manager seven eight years ago. Now that dude's job is to go around and find what they think is the next superstar, get them in the portfolio. And in Tennessee state law, once you have the brand in your portfolio, those are lifelong contracts. The only way that you can lose or have a change of that uh, of that contract is either major neglect or if a company decides to pull out, a brewery decides to pull out of a state for uh, up to over one year. 
So nobody is going to take their product out of the marketplace for an entire year just to change distributors just because they might be a little upset one day. Now, if it's an awful, disastrous relationship, then some, you know, there are examples of where that happens. But outside of that, those are lifelong contracts. So like Lagunitas in eight, seven, eight years ago, Miller Coors came in and, 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 and got them in the state of Tennessee. They got together and all, all Miller Coors distributors have the rights to sell Lagunitas in the state of Tennessee. Same with Dogfish. It's all strategic. And so it's, it's very calculated and it's done for a real legitimate reason. And it's not a reason to say that this beer's not any good anymore. Dogfish Head was either good or it wasn't. And the beer snob has trouble understanding any of this because the beer snob is uh, usually a jackass who doesn't know much of anything uh, other than uh, regurgitating crap he read on social media and smelling and sipping and drinking and sipping some piece of crap double Bach IPA he got at the uh, local flying, you know, dickhead bar, you know? So, all right. That's all I got. I think that's all I got on that. Wait, what is this? Uh, Yep, yep. Already got to that one. And so we'll wrap this thing up on the way out with Strange Brew. What's inside of you? From Cream. And coming up next, the Supreme Court has allowed sports gambling to be a state right. And I think that's good. Kind of. And I'll get into more of that coming up next on the Stone on Air podcast. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Yeah, I'd like to bet a hundred bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. You have a gambling problem. That's true. Will you forgive me? Oh, sure. Remember when I got caught stealing all those watches from Sears? Well, that's nothing because you have a gambling problem. I'll bet you the next three people I ask, two of them will say that it looks like sugar right. How much? $100? $200? Thousand. Hey, wait a second. What are you doing? You're not betting. You know he's not supposed to bet. Come on, Jerry. It's a lock. Kramer, you've had this thing under control for almost three years now. Don't start again. But it's a lock. No. Well, I don't want to play here. Yeah, come on, Sheila. Let's go to the nickel slots. Ooh, the nickel slots. You might win the $30 jackpot. (laughs) Ah, women, huh? All right, time to show these people how to gamble. Well, they are big favorites, Jim. No doubt about that. Nine and a half points to be exact. Now, what that means is if a person bet the Jaguars on a parlay with, let's say, Cincinnati, who, as we know, won earlier today, that would pay that person 13 to 5. So, if a person had bet, let's say, $127,000, that would pay off $457,200. That would cover any bad wagers that that person would have made in the past. Why, it's like wiping the slate clean, Jim. That person would be even for the first time in his life. I've been gambling Welcome back to the show. This is the Grateful Dead and Deal. I forgot I did have one more page from the beer talk when I googled pretentious craft beer I'll tell you the results here in a second Uh, 
So a Google search of pretentious craft beer drinkers. Growler Magazine, the seven most annoying things beer snobs say. Anyone else annoyed with the craft beer crowd? Types of beer snobs ranked. Craft beer drinkers are labeled as pretentious. Anthony Bourdain, craft beer fans have gone too far. Annoying things beer geeks do. How to be an annoying beer snob. That's just one, two, three, four, five, six of the top responses when Googling pretentious and craft beer. I don't, I'm not hating on you. I mean, I, I got craft beer snobs, many of them, friends of mine. I hung out with them at the Beer Brugge thing the other day, which was a fun event. It was a good event. I mean, I was free, so it's, it's going to take a lot to mess that up <laughs> from my perspective anyway. All right, coming up uh, here, we're looking at sports gambling becoming a thing. And the way that I've always looked at gambling is the same way that the old asshole talks about marijuana should not be um, legalized and gives you all these bogus-ass reasons as to why. Doesn't know much about it, probably never smoked it before. Uh, Older type. Dr. Bruce Hutchinson type, if you used to listen to talk radio or if you still do, he's a regular on Let's Talk Money. And I got into almost an argument with him on the air once. 65-plus-year-old man who loves to gamble, hates weed, and contradicts himself every time he opens up his mouth about the um, the way the legalization or, or the lack of for either one of those one of those vices. And so I come from it on the other side, and I think a lot of it was resentment built up towards the old pot is bad, gambling is okay types. I think because of resentment that I've had towards them, I've doubled down on the other side. I hate gambling. I absolutely despise gambling, the lottery, any kind of wagering. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hope I wasn't unclear there. It is one of the most disastrous, dangerous things especially males, but certainly females too, that American or anybody in the world can get involved in. It's dangerous. It has so many uh, potentially corrupt situations that be- can become involved with. It's, it's layered, and it's much more than just throwing a couple bucks down on the game. So I've got a couple different angles to it. That's one of them. From a sports betting angle, similar to the beer snobs, there's the guy who gambles on games on the weekends. You know, sitting around watching the game, wanting to maybe just have some chit-chat, some banter about the game, and all I got is this guy talking about covering lines and whether they're going to get the over-under and all these, you know, it's prop bet stuff. Dude, I'm watching a ball game over here. I'm watching a competition amongst elite athletes. Don't talk to me about some arbitrary number that you decided to put half your paycheck on. There's nothing interesting to me in that conversation. If you would like to talk about the fundamental techniques of the running back or the uh, the run pass option or the uh, you know what kind of stuff you think the guy on the mound has today, I find that to be an intriguing conversation. Whether this team wins five to three or three to two doesn't mean shit to me, man. I just want to see this team win because of the athletic competition on the field. And in many cases, in the pro sports in the United States, are the best in the world at what they're doing, and so that just annoys the hell out of me there. And then the aspect of the dangerous nature of gambling and its addictive characteristics. It is very, very dangerous. I know people who have gotten in all kinds of trouble, broken families, uh, just devastation because of addiction to, uh, to, to gambling, whether it be sports gambling 
or online gambling or at the casino, whatever. They all they all work in you know in concert together to create really really awful behavior. And it infuriates me at times to see it happen. Then you can get down on a smaller level to just play in the lottery, scratch off tickets. Speaking back of working in the beer business, I have a lot of people I've worked with over the years that are that are big on scratch off lottery tickets, sitting around in the room, you know, checking up with me in my office, and then you know, get back and scratching off lottery tickets. A lot of times these guys are hard on the luck types, just looking for that one thrill. You see it when you go into gas stations. If, if nothing else, it's just annoying as hell when you're trying to pay for, for your, your bag of chips and your, uh, and, and your whatever you're there, your pack of smokes or whatever, which, again, there's another thing that's killing people that, we, that we've, legal, we've had legal for forever. So there is a libertarian side of me that says, of course, this should be legal. But in the cases where it's not, I'm totally okay with it because I hate it. And I don't want it to be available to people if, it's, if, if, if we can keep that from happening. It's, it's hypocritical of me for sure. I mean, the scratch-off lottery tickets, it is a tax on the poor. And then the justification is, well, the lottery funds education. Well, yeah, it funds the education for middle and above-class America. If you look at the numbers, who is benefiting from the lottery money in education, it's generally not going to the people who play it, who scratch the tickets, who buy the lotto numbers. But if you ask me, should it be legal, and to put all that aside, the answer is, is always going to be yes. I've never put a dollar on a sport. I have bought one or two lottery tickets ever. The only time I've ever played, what is it, Powerball or whatever, where you win a $100 billion or something and everybody, you know, all the companies get together and they go buy a bunch of them. Well, the only reason I've, I've, I've bought one of those before because it is that kind of, I get sucked in, it's stupid still, but if this thing hits and you're the only one that didn't put five bucks in, you know, you're going to feel awful foolish. It's a bad argument. But it, it is an emotional argument that is easy to get sucked into. I probably spent 30 bucks in my life on something like that. Uh, our office pools for the NCAA tournament. I do that. Never won one before. I think that's kind of fun for camaraderie around the office. Got no problem with that. Bowl pickums. Things done in-house. Things done amongst friends. You know That I don't have any problem with in things like bowls and, and NCAA uh, March Madness tournament. I guess you can make an argument that, that there's not much difference there, but I've never had a problem with that. But I still don't enjoy it. I still don't like it. Because to me, in my entire adult life, the fear of losing money has always outweighed the potential thrill of winning money. Winning money sounds fun. Losing money sounds terrifying. All right? In my mind, when I think of those two things, and I've thought about it when I was younger, when it was getting popular and people were playing cards and people were, you know, when we were, you know, graduating to different things we would do in our lives and into our adult lives at 20, 21, 22. And I'd see people around me start play, play, uh, playing parlay sheets and all these kinds of things. And I, I always thought, man, maybe. And then I'd see my buddy, he'd win. I'm like, maybe I should. God, that was, he just won like a hundred bucks, man. All he had to play was, you know, 10 to win a hundred. And he just, I mean, those were easy picks. Like I, I everybody knew that was going to happen. I almost got talked into it or talked myself into it, but I never did it. I never pulled the trigger. Then I got older. Then I got experience. Then I got to seeing people around me who were struggling with it. And the more and more I realized that the drug addicts in my life and in my social circles and the alcoholics and the gambling addicts and the sex addicts. And I looked around and I was like, I got to try to stay away from as much of this as possible. Plus, I've always been scared of losing money. Why? Because I've never had a lot of it. And I've never been delusional enough to think if I just keep gambling, eventually, maybe I will have a lot of money. I always thought that that was a foolish 
way to approach life. So this is from the New York Post. Critics fear surge in gambling addiction after court ruling. It's a fear echoed by officials at a top treatment advocacy group on Monday. The expansion of legalized sports gambling in the United States will likely increase gambling participation and gambling problems unless steps are taken to minimize the harm, said Marlene Warner, the president of the National Council on Problem Gambling, which is calling on the regulators and sports leagues to use the new revenues to help combat the problem. Quote, any governmental body and sports league that receives a direct percentage or portion of sports betting revenue must also dedicate funds to prevent and treat gambling problems. The NCPG fears a dramatic expansion could put new strain on efforts to help addicts. While Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey all have assistance programs, other parts of the country aren't as well equipped. Right now, the safety net is already tattered, and this massive expansion may rip apart, says Keith White, the executive director of the NCPG. We need to treat this as a national public health issue, and that's what we haven't done yet. And while some libertarian types might say, late, let me gamble. And if you want to ruin your life gambling, tough. That's on you. I do like the idea of there being some governmental regulations saying, all right, if you're going to make this kind of money, you do have to help fund uh, programs to help for people who are struggling with addiction to this because it is psychologically amazingly hard to even understand, cruelly addictive. So I do like the idea of figuring out a way to governmentally regulate earmarking funds to to help in this this sickness and this disease as it technically I believe is categorized. Help alcoholism is is a disease. So is this. Either they both are or neither are, but whatever. They both have addictive and toxic grips on on uh, men and women. However, a leading gambling addiction expert at the University of California at Los Angeles. Why didn't you just say UCLA? Uh, doubted the decision would lead to a giant spike in gamblers since unregulated betting on sports from the Super Bowl to the NCAA tournament is already common in many places. Quote, it's basically regulating a behavior that is already happening, happening and all that revenue that's already generated by underground sports gambling isn't being brought back to the government, says Tim Frong, a professor of psychiatry who runs UCLA's gambling studies program. Johnny down the street doesn't pay taxes on that. It's a lot like cannabis and marijuana, he added. It should be regulated. He's right. It's going on anyway. But if you make it easier to get a hold of, just look at Denver, the whole damn state, stoned out of their head. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. It depends on who you're asking. But it, sh- it should be legal. It should be available. But it doesn't mean that I like it and I'm not an advocate for it. And, you know, often you see... Uh, over-the-counter medication or you you see anything that might be labeled non-habit forming i'm here to tell you there's no such thing as non-habit forming anything everything in our culture in our society in our american way of life is habit forming i have a major addiction habit of drinking Lacroix or sparkling waters perrier or whatever it is every single day there are no ingredients in this water it is just water with natural flavor and just a hint of natural flavor and carbonation an acquired taste to say the least but i cannot get through the day without one i'm addicted to water okay so so while there is nothing in the ingredients of a Lacroix that would suggest that it's habit forming it most certainly is habit forming so i just i mean the strongest willed person can fall victim to uh to to vices in our world and it concerns me so i do hope that they continue to fund somehow 
different kinds of programs that can help people who fall into the, the, the devastating grips of gambling addiction because it is really, really bad. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've read about it a bunch. I know, I've heard about it even more. And uh, so it concerns me. But, yeah, it needs to be legalized, just like pot. And um, tax the shit out of it and go from there. Final segment of the show, I uh, got a video game I was playing the other day. And mental illness, how to treat it. And when something seems really crazy, be scared of it. Because there is such thing as crazy. We've also he- helped and, and enable and aid and abed in, uh, in, in, in mental illness. But there is real mental illness that does need to be treated. We just need to just decipher which ones are which. On the way out, this is actually a different song about gambling from the Grateful Dead. But this is officially the Jerry Garcia band. It's called Loser. And I got no chance of losing this time. So the gambling addicted bro said. This is the Stone on Air podcast, the weekly dose for May 17, 2018. Well, I've got no chance of losing this time Well, I've got no chance of losing this time Stone on air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. Everybody want to know what the kids was listening to. What, what kind of music was they listening to? Or what kind of movies was they watching? Who gives a fuck what they was watching? Whatever happened to crazy? What happened to crazy? Well, you can't be crazy no more? Do we eliminate crazy from the dictionary? Fuck the record, fuck the movie, crazy. When I was a kid, they used to separate the crazy kids from everybody. When I was a kid, the crazy kids went to school on a little ass bus. They had a class at the end of the school, and they used to get out of school at 2.30. Just in case they went crazy, they would only hurt other crazy kids. I guess keep in mind that was also a bit from 20 years ago, and I've recycled that one. I've used it before, Chris Rock. And I'm going to have two different angles in this final segment of the show. Long one today. It's a lot of stuff to talk about. This is The Kids Are Not Alright from The Offspring. Not usually in the business of playing Offspring on the show, but I was running out of ideas. So I'm going to start off here with um, the development of kids' brains and 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 how different it is now. And I'm not going to go into it a lot. It's all the usual thoughts. But it and there's nothing in the news this week or the last two weeks that leads me to 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 bring it up other than this, which isn't news. It's just uh, anecdotal for me. Is that I am cutting my cable off. I know I've been saying this for a while. I'm doing it officially. After May, I'm pretty sure. Might let it roll into June. (laughs) Here we go again, right? Uh, Anyway, it's going away shortly. So I'm trying to change my behaviors. I'm trying to change a lot of my habits. And I'm starting there. And then I'm going to work my way over the next year doing different things. I'll talk about more of that into the future. 
But so I, a friend of mine was getting the new PlayStation that's uh, compatible for a, a 4K TV. And he was like, he's continuing trying to say, hey, man, you need to get one of these. Even if you're not going to play a lot of video games, you, you can get all your apps. You want Netflix, Hulu, and all that. Because I don't want to get up and hook up my computer, and I don't have a Chromecast yet. And I, You know, changing behaviors and habits is, is something that takes, takes some time and some repetition. So he said, if you just plug this thing up, you can play a video game every now and again. And you can get online, and you can just pull it up and watch Netflix or Hulu or, or whatever the hell. Listen to Spotify, you can do all those things. It's like, that's a pretty damn good idea. So he's, I was looking into buying one. Well, after he decided to get a new one, he said, listen, I'll just sell you mine for pretty cheap, really. I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And he, I, I don't have a video game. He's like, here, take Grand Theft Auto with you. And you just borrow it for a while, indefinitely. You just keep, hold on to it for a while and just play it. You'll, you'll, you'll probably at least like it. And I've talked about this before in different capacities of radio and podcasts that Grand Theft Audio, Grand Theft Auto, is the highest selling video game in the history of the industry. It's billions of dollars sold and hundreds of millions of units sold. And uh, it is a game, a franchise, a game that's been around maybe going on 20 years, certainly 15. Uh, it was awfully primitive when it first came out. Very, uh, very different kind of game than it is now. But I, I said, all right, give me, yeah, why not? And so I started playing this game. It is pure anarchy. It is absolutely, the, the, the premise of the game is to terrorize people. And this is just one example of video games that, that people are playing, kids are playing all the time. Now, if you're a certain age, you'll remember this. In, oh, I don't know, 1996, maybe, 97, 95, I can't remember exactly, I had the Game Gear. I didn't play a ton of video games growing up. I played them off and on here and there. But the most appalling thing about video games that were in the in the the society and the culture of the of the of the, of the teenagers of the adolescents was Mortal Kombat. And if you got a code, you could get the version that had blood, which basically just meant if you hit it, kicked them in the head hard enough, a little red pool of you know red blotch would show up on the ground. Same thing with the hockey game. If you had the right code, you could uh, punch the guy hard enough and then blood would come on the ice. And this was highly controversial. The Tipper Gore types were all kinds of mad. That's about as far as it got on the outrage of video games. Altered Beast, I remember uh, people talking, one of the first Sega Genesis games, people talking about it being satanic. Um, So that was another one back then. But that's about as far as it went. Let me tell you how this video game went until I stopped because I wasn't any good and I couldn't figure out what to do. Grand Theft Auto opens, the most recent one, where you're taking hostages, putting them in a uh, locked uh, vault of some kind with two other dudes at gunpoint. If you want, you can just kill them. I mean, you lose. You have to start over because that's not the mission. But if you want, you just walk up to them, put a gun to their head, and kill them violently with all the, you know, the, the effects that you would expect to see and the, and the visuals that you would expect to see. But you put them in there, and everybody's, hurry the F up, and hurry this, blah, 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 and just gratuitous profanity. And then you blow up a door, then you go in, you steal all the money, then you go outside, you get in a shootout with the cops, and it's pretty difficult, it took me a while to figure out how to do it. You kill all the cops, and then you kill another wave of cops, and then you, uh, you, you, get on, you steal a car, and then you beat the train, and then you've made it past the open. Like there's a train coming and you got to get over the tracks before it hits you. 
And then you end up in another scene where you're a couple of black dudes walking down in a rich, you know, Southern California beach area. You're going to a condo. You're cussing. You're saying in words. You're not, but the video game is as they talk to each other. And you get, you steal a car, and then you go on a wild chase, and you start whatever. And I pretty much stopped there because it was getting too difficult. And I just, I mean, while I thought the the gameplay and the design was incredible, I just think it's kind of stupid. Then, though, if you're bored, you can just walk around and terrorize people. Walk up to a woman, punch her in the face, beat her up, kick her up, kick her, you know, kick her in the stomach, kick her in the head. Do that to all the men if you'd like as well. Steal cars, smash them into people, run over stuff. This is what people are doing for fun is simulating terrorizing people. That is going to be a very, very dangerous thing for kids as they grow up. Just one example, all right? One example of the countless games and countless smartphone and, and iPad, iPods, and whatever uh, device that, that kids are seeing. All, you know, Snapchat is just loaded with trash and 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 profanity and, uh, and, and sex and all these things. So, I mean... It, you just got to think of, just imagine your brain trying to develop with that kind of pollution, right? That kind of noise and visual pollution. So I'll stop right there and try and transition into mental illness as, as, as an adult. And mental illness is a real thing. And the story of this woman, Jacqueline Aids, at, uh, in, out in Phoenix, and I'm going to play some audio here towards the end, is clearly certifiable, certifiably um, clinically insane. And there is real mental illness that is devastating that has that's completely out of the control of uh, of people and i i recognize that and i understand that and i believe in it i 100% do but the more i see nimrods on social media facebook primarily that continue to act like professionals on uh bipolar disorder manic depression which is basically the same thing i, I the more i tend to think you know what my generation and a generation just a little bit younger than me are beginning to use mental illness as an excuse for just being an asshole. I really I believe that's happening more times than not. There's the whole ADHD thing. Think about this real quick. I meant to say this a minute ago. ADHD, attention deficit disorder, right? Kids can't concentrate. Kids can't uh, they can't stay still. They can't they can't focus. These video games, this game that I was playing is so intricate, Grand Theft Auto. It's so in-depth. It's so detail-oriented with, just quickly, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine different-ish amounts of controls and buttons that you need to understand how to, in, in sync, work together to be able to pull off all these things you're doing from aiming guns to stealing cars to running around to punching and remembering how to do all this stuff and how to do it well and make YouTube channels, and to be able to, uh, to, to be successful with lots of views and, and fans, if you will, on YouTube and things like that, that what that, a lot of this stuff has graduated into. That takes some of the most keen focus that you could possibly muster up. You're trying to tell me that these kids have attention deficit disorder, they're having trouble paying attention, yet can master these games that, that a pretty advanced, experienced mind like myself is totally bewildered by? You see my point here. We've created mental illness by, by medicating two straight generations. Generation uh, X, generation uh, Xennials, which is me basically, and Millennials. We've all been medicated. Thank God it didn't get to me. 
the most of the generations of the last two and a half to three full generations have been medicated into mental illness. And now more and more, I just see somebody who's just hard to get along with. Somebody who's just a dick. Somebody who just doesn't want to play well with others and wants an opportunity to get their hands on some drugs. Because that's what all your doctor is, is your drug dealer. I, I find it sickening, I find it sad, and I find it scary. But I, I, and I also find it to be an insult to the real problem, which is true, real mental illness, which is very hard to, uh, to control. Because it's not a fake situation like you see so often in everyday white America, in middle-class white America. That's fake-ass ADHD. You just don't feel like paying attention. It's not that you can't. You just want some stimulants. Or your parents just want a reason to, you know, I don't know, go to the doctor themselves because they need some drugs too. But seeing that fake bipolar stuff out there, I'd love to call people's names out, but I just don't, I don't want to do that. There's just no reason to do that. And then that transitions into where you have real, true mental illness. And what caught my eye on this and why I want to do some of this was I, I actually currently have a situation where I'm getting blown up by somebody with a, uh, a female with a mental illness. And I've never talked about her before. And I'm not going to get into any of it just in case I don't want her to think I'm, I'm demeaning her or talking bad to her because I, I really care about her and I'm, I'm worried for her, but I'm totally have no involvement with and haven't in a couple of years. And it, it, it's not 65,000 text messages, but it's a lot and it's scary and I'm worried and it's dangerous potentially for, for her and other people in her life. So I saw this and it, it didn't hit close to home, but eh, kind of close. Police arrested 31-year-old Jacqueline Aids and charged her with threatening, stalking, harassment, and failure to appear in court, according to the Washington Post. Aids discussed the allegations on Thursday during a jailhouse interview with local CBS affiliate KPHO-TV. That's the audio that I'll have for you here in a minute. According to police, many of the text messages sent included anti-Semitic insults and threats like the following. Here's four of the 65,000 tweets. Don't ever try to leave me. I'll kill you. I don't want to be a murderer. Another one is, I hope you die, you rotten, filthy Jew. I'm like the new Hitler. Man was a genius. And the final one they hear they provide in this piece from Huffington Post. Oh, what I would do with your blood. I want to bathe in it. So clearly this is a, 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 a pretty severe case of mental illness. And this is after just a couple of dates from some dating website. Authorities said she'd been sending as many as 500 messages a day since last year, but her efforts to connect with her former date became more extreme last month. That's when she allegedly broke into the man's home and took a bath in his tub. Police say she also showed up at his work pretending to be his wife. So, story was, you know, caught my eye, and I saw the... I saw the interview. It was 18 minutes long, and I went through it and uh, kind of marked a few places and figured I'd play some of it here on the show. If nothing else, to give an example of what true real mental illness is and how uh, devastating it can be and how it does need to be taken seriously, it's just we got to figure out how we weed out the fake ones that are just trying to get uh, loads of pills and then can just be assholes and then just say, oh, well, I'm bipolar. So, no, I'm not an asshole. I'm just a bipolar. Yeah, right. This is the news crew from CBS Phoenix KPHO in the jailhouse interview. Jackie, why do you think it, it was important to speak to us today? Because I have to share. Share what? The message of love. What's your message of love? Everybody has to love each other. 
What do you want the victim, if the victim's watching, what do you want him to know? Victim, he's not a victim. Okay, the person that... That I love? Yes. What do I want him to know? That I love him. Are you gonna leave him alone? If he wants me to. Has he asked you to leave him alone? I don't want to talk about those things. Why did you go to his business on Friday and tell everybody there that you were his wife? I don't want to talk about them. Can we ask why you don't want to talk about them? You have negative energy. I'm sorry. What are you feeling right now when you hear those questions? They're being negative to me, and I feel like everybody should just be nice. Well, it's not bad advice. Everybody should be nice is usually a, a good recipe for a good time. This was the very next thing she said that was basically it was completely uh, unprovoked well we are trying to understand where you're coming from it's mm -hmm. not negative you know so that's why we want to try to understand on the dollar bill it says she prefers your undertaking a new world order in latin on the one dollar bill and the pyramid represents slavery and the third eye is the imagination so everybody is a jew essentially that's what the imagination is and the pyramid is how we were enslaved so we've been enslaved by money and we enslave each other it's like a self-perpetuating cycle of enslaving each other and taking from each other and being selfish now to a certain degree some of that might be uh, might be true but the main thing is that came out of nowhere it was nowhere in the line of questioning this was uh, the question basically how did you meet this guy that she went on, uh, I think it was one date. It might have been upwards of three, but it wasn't for very long. You said you met him online. Yeah. What site did you meet him on? Luxie. What kind of site is that? Oh, like the most shallow one ever, where the rich men meet the pretty girls. Why did you text him 65,000 times? Because it made me find out all my information. Loving him selflessly brought this information because everybody just wants to take but if you just give and you don't stop giving, even if you don't receive, you all of a sudden receive a lot. You said, you, did you go on one date with him? Three. Three dates. Can you talk about how you felt when you were with him? Did you feel a spark immediately? Talk about how you felt. I felt like I met my soulmate and everything was just the way it was. And I thought we would just do what everybody else did and we would just like get married and everything would be fine. But that's not what happened. Okay, so it was three dates technically. If I remember right from reading something else, I think it was... A three-day full weekend get-together, probably shack-up kind of thing. I think it was one encounter that lasted three days, if I remember reading that right. Not really all that important when it comes to the seriousness of the charges that she's facing, which is threatening and uh, stalking and whatever else it was. So this is, tell us more about you, uh, Jacqueline. Can you understand why people think this is a little bit out there? Oh, yeah. Are you a crazy person? No. Tell us, who are you? Like, what do you want? I'm the person that discovered love, the equation to light. Einstein discovered the equation to light. It's E equals MC squared. To finish that equation, everything we see is made out of light, everything, and the composition of the light that it's made out of. Jackie, some of those messages don't sound like love. They sound like threats. When you're finding love, not everything is perfect. This was a journey, and I want to apologize because nobody would ever be more sorry. Would you have really hurt him? No. I love him. And the final one here as I wrap up the show today. Does any of this seem weird to you at all? Just 
any of this seem kind of weird at all to you? Um, no. Because in a lot of people's eyes, they see this as weird. Mm -hmm. That's because they're selfish. And they've never actually loved someone without getting anything back. The point of love is to keep giving it. That's the math equation. It's love equals 3.3, which is infinity, times E equals MC squared, which is light. Light is forever. L equals 3. L, if love was a number, it would be 3. So it's infinity times light, which is also infinity. So it's just forward, forever forward. And if you're selfish, you can't understand that because you want something in return. He's not giving me anything in return, and I still love him anyway. That's what love is. That's what the universe is supposed to be made of. So there you go. Put the wraps on everything there. I'm not trying to poke fun or make jokes. It is, I mean, it, there are certain parts of this that you can kind of, kind of chuckle at. That is not the point of this. The point is that there is real mental illness, real serious, very, very potentially dangerous mental illness that needs to be addressed and needs to be adequately funded for the research and the development of the drugs to help people that need this. And then there's just fake-ass people who just want to load up on drugs from their doctor and say that they have bipolar, when really all they are is just a bunch of assholes. There's two different things. And I know, I know it's, a, it's more complicated than that, to be sure. No doubt. It is more complicated than that. But not a much when you just want to throw it out there on a, from a couple of extremes. And uh, it, just, it just bothers me. It bothers me. I just, I've been around people who've been medicated erroneously for my entire life. And I know people whose lives are, you know, it may be destroyed as being a little bit dramatic, but lives were severely altered and the path in which they were going got completely uh, forked off into another direction. And ge generally speaking, in the situations I'm talking about in, in bad detrimental situations, because they were hopped up on a bunch of damn drugs because they were either their doctors or their parents or themselves as they got older, lied about what their conditions are, lied about what their problems were just so they could get medicated. And uh, it is, uh, it sucks. It just plain sucks. And why I put it together with the beginning of this segment, I'm concerned with the visual and uh, noise pollution of the devices and of the internet and what cable TV started 20, you know, 25, 30 years ago and violence and, and desensitized to all kinds of different things from drugs and sex and violence and all these things. I'm concerned it's, it's creating more and more mental illness and we're create, continuing to medicate more and more and more and more and more. And um, I'm concerned about that for the future of uh, generations and I think it's only going to get worse and it's become normal and it is uh, it's infuriating to be perfectly honest with you this is a guilty ple pleasure of mine here recently theory of a dead man um, and their song uh, what is it called Rx and Medicate it's you know they're trash rock they they cater to the lowest common denominator you know Rossville Boulevard types but it's a catchy groove and while the lyrics you know again dumbed down still are totally true so i gotta get on out of here y'all take care we'll see you again on wednesday as i mentioned earlier in the show the podcast is back to your midweek download destination y'all have a good weekend see you later bye all those flavors of the rainbow too bad that shit don't work though your friends are high right now your parents are high